From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 19. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash upgrade. MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam. Stamps.com, posted on demand. And PDF Pen 2 for iPhone and iPad. Edit your PDFs from wherever you are. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by the man about town, Mr. Jason Snell. <laughs> Hi, Mike. I'm, <laughs> I'm the man about town, eh? Uh-huh, that's so what you are interesting, today. In, interesting way to describe somebody who works inside his house. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> You're at Snelltown. You know, sure. You're the mayor sure. of Snowtown. I, I bring it. I bring it with me. Yeah, That's I don't it. know where that came from. It was the first thing that came to my head. Um, I have yeah. a little bit of a sore throat today, so I might be. A, I might be a little bit husky, oh, Jason. No. Um, but I'm just getting over my cold. My cold is finally abating. I'm almost out of it. I'm almost done with the cold. So I'll probably get the flu. <laughs> I've been thinking about this recently, right? I have a sore throat because over the weekend I went to a birthday party. My brother was celebrating his thirtieth birthday. Mm-hmm. So we celebrated, and in, in celebrating, my my throat uh, became sore because uh-huh. out in nightclubs and talking to people, it's it's loud. And I think to myself these days, I should take more care of my voice. So maybe I'll take like an extra sketch or something next time, and just won't speak. This is how I always feel at WWDC. I, I'm not used to spending a lot of time out uh, in loud environments shouting at people in order to be heard. And so whenever I go to uh, WWDC or uh, or some other conference, I have this where, where I shred my voice in very short order. Mm-hmm. It happens really quickly. Yep. I can and, feel it uh, going within like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was it? Uh, at Singleton, I was doing a podcast with Dan Morin after one of the one of the events in the evening. And, and Dan and I looked at each other about 10, 20 minutes in and we're like, we need to stop talking or our podcast later is going to be Hello, Dad. <laughs> you know, it just completely wrecked. So, uh, yeah, you're gonna have to watch that. Your 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 voice is your um is is your professional tool now. It's your instrument. Mm-hmm. If you would like to hear myself, Stephen, Jason, and Dan very hoarse at WWDC, there is an episode of the uh, pre-relay Clockwise. Um, oh yeah, where, where we did that, and it was quite funny. Like we were doing that show, and I was like, oh, I can't talk, guys. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, but it's quite funny to hear us. There was lots of uh, drinks around the room to try and yeah. keep everybody speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's not good, you know. Yeah, it may be entertaining content, but uh, down down quality in terms of voices. You you mm-hmm. need to be able to be heard to be on a podcast. I think it'd be difficult for somebody who's lost their voice to be on a podcast. So we have a real barnstormer of a show today. Um, We do. This is a biplane that is going around from town to town doing mm -hmm. tricks aerially. It's that kind of show. It's that kind of show. So we're going to kick it off with some epic length follow-up, but in a good way. So why why don't you tell me what we've got? Yeah, yeah, good follow up. We're doing some we're doing some uh, restructuring of formats and verticals, and we've had, you know some notes from the the uh, network executives, and uh, it's all going to be good. Uh, but we'll start with a little follow up because I love the follow up. Uh, listener Rob wrote in to say uh, thank you, Jason, for motivating me to finally write my thing about all day battery life. So we talked last week about Apple solving for X with batteries, and and uh, 
Mike uh, pushed back on some of the theories in my charts, which actually was quite enjoyable. I really enjoyed that you were like, well, wait, what about this? And that was, <laughs> I love the give and take of that segment. I thought that was really great. Uh, Rob wrote a piece that we can put in the show notes um, where he talks a little bit about uh, battery life and uh, who uses, uh, you know, people are creatures for habit, he, creatures of habit. He said, we get used to plugging in our phones. Um, yeah, that more people would have their phones run out of battery if they never plugged in their phones, but you get trained to plug them in in order to hoard electricity. And, and then you end up in a place where your, your phone lasts, but it's been tethered and, and he makes a bunch of other points and it's, it's an interesting piece, but, um, I wanted to use that as a jumping off point to also based on some feedback that isn't in the, in our, in our notes that I got is uh, just to, to discuss this. Apple seems to feel like, um, there are there are there are Apple is well aware there are people who want more battery life on their iPhone. They're well aware of that. Um, I think Apple seems to feel that the people who really really want more battery life are a relatively small group that can just buy an external battery or a battery pack. And I talk to people all the time. There are certain people who never use an external battery pack, and then there are other people who are like, oh yeah, I always just buy a Mophie case. Like always, that's always what they do because that for them they like to live their life with that. And and Apple's approach seems to be that everybody else shouldn't have to take on more thickness and weight in their phone for in order to fulfill the needs of this smaller group of people who want more battery life than what Apple is willing to give. Now, the question is, where do you make that cutoff? If, if, it's, if it's half the people want more battery life or 70% of the people want more battery life, if, if most iPhones or many, very many iPhones are always on battery packs because the battery is just not good enough to the point where it starts to also hurt sales of iPhones because everybody says you can't buy an iPhone. It doesn't have enough battery life. You know, Apple has to make that decision about what is uh, a niche feature and not fulfill it. And I feel like with a battery, I mean, that's definitely, that seems to be what they're doing is saying, look, most people get by just fine. It's not hurting the perception of our product. There are certain people who really, 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 really want more battery life, but there are third-party products for them. And we're not going to subject every person who uses this device uh, to, uh, to extra weight because some people really want more battery life, especially when they're third-party products. So that seems to be where they're coming from. So with my 5S, I had it living in a Mophie case for practically all of its life um, because I wanted that extra battery. It doubled my battery power. But now with the 6 Plus, if I wanted a Mophie case, there's no way I could use it. It would be huge. Like, Can right. you imagine? Although, although with, with the 6 Plus, there is one. Uh, I know. But with the, yeah. with the 6 Plus, it's, it seems a lot less necessary because the 6 Plus actually does have the best battery life of any iPhone. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I do, I do wonder about um, battery life being a niche. Uh, well, I don't think it is. I mean, I mean, there's nobody in my life that that I know uh, that doesn't like have battery issues. You know, like people are plugging mm-hmm. their phones in multiple times a day, oh, yeah. or they're complaining that the, the these phones don't get good battery life or whatever. Like, I can't think of anybody that I know that wouldn't be uh, happier to have more battery life but is that magic is that magic more battery life or is that more battery life but their phone is is uh, bigger and heavier 
That's yeah, the that's the trade off, right? And yeah. I want to make it clear too. So I got a couple notes about this. I, when when I'm stepping through Apple's thought processes here, I'm not. That is not an endorsement necessarily. I'm just trying to understand why Apple does what Definitely. it does in some yep. of this stuff. And I, I and I think that it's an interesting question of like. Apple presumably has an inter- internal research department that is uh, polling existing Apple customers and p- prospective Apple customers and really trying to get a read on people's attitudes toward this stuff. And so Apple probably has a pretty good idea of what at least they think the uh, add-on battery market is versus you know the people who buy an iPhone and don't buy an add-on battery. And you know, I, I think it's an interesting question of when, when, where do you change your priorities? Where do you make the cutoff? I think we're talking about this because this is closer to being an issue than, um, I mean, th- th- there are things that are truly like so far out on the edge that you're like, you know, I'm switching to desktop Linux. You're like, all right, yeah. you know, you're, you're so far off on the edge of the mass of the people who buy this product that I'm not so worried about you. You're going to find a way to make yourself happy. I'm not going to take this product and mess it up a little bit just to satisfy these edge cases. But this one seems like it's a bigger issue and that there there's more opportunity for Apple to revisit it and say, well, and, which they may have done by certainly by making the phones bigger. They, they've gotten battery life uh, as part of the bargain. Uh, and so I, I think that's interesting, but it's not not that I'm I'm necessarily endorsing this line of thought. I'm just trying to understand why Apple does what it does because I find that can be illuminating in trying to understand what else they might be doing. And uh, and I think this is an interesting question for that reason. So I had um, some follow up and, and a little bit of pushback last week uh, about my kind of um, claims about the my battery life and how and how great I think it is basically, uh, and. I remember talking, I believe, with Nick Donnelly on Twitter, um, Upgradian listener, Nick Donnelly, uh-huh. and he was kind of saying that your battery life is great because of all the non-screen battery life it gets. Like, it's not actually that much better, was was his claim. Um, so I was thinking about this, and I think what he was kind of meaning is like, yes, the audio playback is way longer on the 6 Plus, but standby and using the screen isn't. So I wanted to think about this, and kind of I, I took stock today of the way that I've used my phone. Now, there is one thing that's really frustrating. I wanted to include one of the usage statistics as like a screenshot, uh, but I had to restart my phone at one point today because I lost data coverage. It was weird. Blame EE, my carrier. So now I can't get the numbers, the actual numbers, but I have times, so I can give you that. So basically, I looked at it today, and so from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., I have used my iPhone constantly. Uh, I've used it to check and reply to email. I've read the documents for these show notes in Google Drive. Uh, I've been I've read all of my Twitter theme stream for today. I was playing video. I was watching YouTube videos at one point whilst I was eating some lunch. Uh, I've been playing games. I've used maps and I've been listening to Overcast. So I've listened to like I went. I've been on a two and a half hour round trip today, for example, where I was also listening to Overcast and playing games at the same time because i i think when i use my phone i'm very rarely have the scre- uh, sorry very rarely have the screen off like even if i'm listening to a show i'm playing games or reading twitter or something like that so between 9am to 4pm so i've used my phone i think constantly throughout that period maybe like an hour where i wasn't where i was in a meeting i had 15% battery life left on my phone by 4pm so I think, I mean, and people can can argue with me, I think that's incredible. And it's way more, way more than I got on my 5 and my 5S. Yeah. 
like I would have sometimes 15% by like 11 a.m. doing the same yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, I think most of the tests that involve um, screen on show that the 6 plus life is crazy. Yeah, and like to and give... You, yeah. To give a kind of a, an idea to show like it is kind of screen on time in like the last 24 hours, um, I'm looking at the percentage, it's like 17% tweet bot, 16% messages, 15% home and lock screen. And then it kind of goes down from there. Um, hmm. So I I mean, I, I'm looking at it today and coming out, I'm like, yeah, no, that I think that's pretty impressive. That's a work day. I've done an entire work day working on my phone for the entire day. and it's And it's lasted. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. I I, I think um, the the nice thing about the bigger screens is that by doing bigger screens, Apple is also picking up better battery life. Even if it was never on its own enough, I think with the bigger screen, it gives them an opportunity to do uh, better battery life. Uh, and and I liked. I, we, we, I mean, we had feedback uh, based on our discussion from people talking about this idea that Apple. Um, you know, Apple's Apple's power isn't solving the issues. They're not solving for X so much as they're a prisoner to the uh, the way that the technology grows and changes and and all of that. And I don't really buy that because I think in the end they they could always make it bigger or heavier or keep it the same. Um, and they they often choose not to do that. And that shows where their priorities are. They, yes, they are a prisoner in the sense that the, this is a math problem. That's why I say it's solving for X. This is algebra. You know, you change one variable and the other variable has to change. And, and, and you're trying to get it, it, the right balance. And I, the way I figure it, um, there's a number below which they won't go. And, that, and, and it varies some, but that number is lower than I think some people... Um, mystery number of people would um, would put the minimum battery life. I think I think a lot of people would put it higher. Um, but the good the good news is with the six line at least uh, that that number has has come up perhaps as a side effect of having more um, area inside the device, so more places for battery to go. Just because you increase those screen dimensions, and even though it's not very thick, that's still you're adding a lot of area, a lot of volume inside the device. Um, anyway, I, I, it's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting, interesting topic and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we got some feedback about that. Um, so let's see, do we want to do a sponsor break now? Yeah, let's, let's take our first break. Um, okay. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends over at lynda.com. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business. All of their courses are taught by experts, and they're adding new courses to the site every single week. With Lynda.com, once you sign up, you'll get unlimited access to every single course that they have, including all of the new stuff that they're adding all the time. You'll be able to view these on your tablet, your mobile device, their apps for iOS and Android, as well as on the desktop. Linda has out something for everyone. Whether you're looking to find a new hobby, you want to improve on some skills, maybe you want to find a new job and completely retrain yourself, you're going to find stuff that you want. For example, if you want to learn how to build an iOS app, they have iOS app development training. They have a Swift Essentials training if you want to start learning Swift. There are a couple of courses that I've seen around on lynda.com. You'll be able to work along with these instructors to help get a good understanding of what it takes to build an iOS app. Or maybe you want to work along with these instructors to learn how to edit a podcast or to learn how to use Adobe Photoshop. They have everything you want. Maybe you want to learn a bit about online marketing. They have experts that can teach all of this stuff. 
Do yourself something good in 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash upgrade. I continue to be super impressed with lynda.com and I think you will too. Every time I go in to try and find new things to talk about, I'm blown away by just the breadth of courses that they have and it's growing all the time. So go learn something new this year. Go to lynda.com slash upgrade and sign up for that 10-day free trial. Thanks so much to lynda.com for supporting this show and Relay FM. Thanks, friends. Thanks, Linda, friends. Ah, more uh, follow-up. I, I Something related, it seems, to last week when I admitted that I don't use full-screen mode very much, not even when editing, not even when editing and using Logic 10 in on an 11-inch MacBook Air, which I admit is kind of crazy. You can't really use oh. Logic in, in full-screen, though, because it, when you're trying to move around the interface, it kind of sometimes requires you to drag outside of the app to move quickly enough. So even yeah. I, I don't use, even in, though I am a full screen person, I don't use Logic in full screen because it, it slows I, me I, down. I will sometimes use it uh, once I'm I've finished dragging everything in and I'm just kind of motoring away with uh, with editing for a while. But um, it's not. It, it doesn't save me that much space either. Honestly, it saves me a very small amount of space. Um, any, anyway, uh, I, I related to podcast editing, I'm going to write something about this on Six Colors this week, but um, I, I should uh, pass on... Uh, I, I made a video. I made two videos this week, actually. I posted two videos this week. Um, one of them we'll put in the show notes. Well, we'll probably end up with both of them in the show notes, won't we? But uh, I'll put one in for you right now, Mike. Um I did a time lapse of me editing The Incomparable this weekend, and uh, I'm going to write about how I edit podcasts and uh, and embed that video. But it's up now, so we can put the, that in the show notes. And I, I saw CGP Grey did this with um, with an episode of Hello Internet, I believe, and I um, I thought that was an interesting idea. And when I write about editing, people ask me how I do my editing, and I occasionally post a screenshot, and people try to understand what the heck they're seeing. And I realized it might be useful sometime to do a uh to do a time lapse so there's a there's a video up at i think it's like 200x of me editing an episode of the incomparable a fairly straightforward episode of the incomparable uh that you can go you can go see speaking of editing things the difference between yours and gray's video is gray's video is 65 minutes long (laughs) because he didn't really speed up as much as you did so depending on uh, your tolerance yeah i took the maximum speed of um of Final Cut Pro, you know, the 200x mode, and I just said do that, and so it's about 10 minutes long, um, which should be enough. You can pause it, you can move around in it and see stuff if you want to, and it's a 1080, it's a full HD, so the resolution's pretty good if you want to see it at that, at that level. And, and you know, you can, set, you can set speed on YouTube, so you could watch it at a quarter speed if you wanted to. Exactly. There you go. Brilliant. So um, plenty of options there. And I will write something up about that hopefully this week. That is a top tip from me, by the way, the speed, good, good tip. like speed on YouTube. Like if I'm watching a video, like a keynote video for something, like I'm doing some research, I tend to watch it at like 1.5 and it helps me get through things oh. like that a lot quicker. People who listen to podcasts at elevated speeds will appreciate this tip. They will. Uh, listener Connor uh, wrote in related to this saying... Establishing habits, Apple releases a new feature that allows greater productivity. How does Jason implement it? Um, I have two answers to this. One is I tend to try all the new things because I usually am reviewing this stuff. So I have to use the new features. And so I do. And sometimes those new features um, will stick. 
and I'll use them. And other times they won't. And they'll fall by the wayside. And there are many, many, many OS X features, for example, that I have used during the development phase of the operating system. And then the moment that I'm done with my article, I never use them again. <laughs> that happens a lot. Why is this, Jason? Why do you think this is? Are you so ingrained that you don't things don't catch on? My my second point was I've been a Mac user for 25 years, right? So and I and I've and it's not just it's not just habit, but it's efficiency. And, and this is something that I think um, the 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 key moment to adopting a new workflow. I think we should talk about this with uh, with David and Katie sometime. Uh, Mac power users vertical. Um, the key moment is when you realize that your super optimized thing that you've built up over time, because I think that's what most of us do as users, is we build up these super optimized workflows that may not even make sense, um, but they they built up step by step. Each step made sense. I think that happens a lot in life, where you create this, um, this crazy bricolage of things, uh, and you would never go that way... Um, by choice, but but each step seemed to make sense. And so you end up with this thing that is um, efficient for you and really idiosyncratic, but it works and it works for you. And, and, and a lot of computer users have that. They're like, well, I do it this way. Well, I don't. Why do you do that? Like my editing video, right? It's like, why do you edit it that way? I, somebody who's a professional audio editor commented on the video oh, no. on Twitter. And he said, he said, this is both, I, I, I don't watch and must watch because there are probably things in there that'll make me go, why? And other things that'll make me go, oh, right? So my point is we do this and we build these things up and then and, and, and this is how we do our jobs on, on computers. Um, the trick is when something new happens to, if you're lucky, you look at it and you realize that if you do this new thing, it Even if it's slightly more work in the beginning, you can see that it will be less work in the end once you are comfortable with it. And that's a hard thing to do because there's a a learning curve there and, uh, and it's unfamiliar. And you have to have the kind of vision of like, oh, that might be a better way to do this. Maybe I'll try that. And that's hard. And sometimes people just, I mean, most of the time, probably people just don't do it. They just don't bother. They're like, look, I've got, I've got it the way I want it. Uh, I'm really efficient with this. Like like uh, Chris Breen tried to get me to edit podcasts in Audition because he thought Audition was uh, superior to Logic. Um, and I I just, one is I just learned how to do Logic. But the other thing was I had constructed what I think is a very good uh, logic editing workflow for the kinds of shows that I do and, and what I'm trying to solve for, back to algebra, which is uh, I want a good quality show, but I also want it... Uh, done as fast as possible and i can do it really quickly with with my approach and i think chris's approach um is uh more careful in some ways um but takes longer and uh it's one of those things that i could probably learn audition and it might pay off it might not and i decided you know what i just started doing logic i'm pretty happy with it i'm going to stick with it but i think we all have that with new features of any operating system uh you know any any upgrade to software upgrade okay ding. so show ding the show's paid for itself um 
and, and it's a challenge. It's a challenge for all users because I, I think actually the more efficient you are, the more a power user you are where you're getting, doing these weird things in order, uh, putting different apps together using uh, utilities like like Text Expander or, or Keyboard Maestro or things like that. The more of that you build on, the more efficient you get, but the harder it is to unravel that and go back to something and try something new. Um, so that that is, I have I have the assorted cruft of 25 years of being a Mac user, and although OS 10 kind of broke a lot of that stuff, I've still had you know whatever 11 or 14 years, 13 years of OS 10 hardcore use in, to do the same thing. So um, yeah, it's it's a challenge. So I try because I have to write the reviews. At least I have to try this stuff. Um, although one of the challenges with writing the reviews is if you're if you're writing on like a a separate boot partition. <laughs> You know, um, you're not really using it. You're like, do do do. Here I am in you know this new beta of OS 10 Monterey Bay, and I'm using do do do. Okay, now I need to do work. Restart, and then you do your work. Well, until you're really using it on your real work, and I know that's dangerous, but until you're doing that, you're not really using it. You're just kind of tooling around in it and clicking on things, and that's not the same. So it's a challenge. Um, but I feel like I'm actually have an advantage in that my job requires me to try it at least. But even for that, even when you have that, like you have to try it, it's hard to adopt that stuff. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, you know, you, you say you kind of hinge on that point by saying it's your history, like your, your long history with the Mac, but I think everyone's the same. Like we all, we all have our kind of our entrenched workflows, like, and, and it's very difficult to break them. Like I, I was editing in GarageBand for way longer than I needed to because it was what oh, I yeah. knew. I just knew yep. how to use it. And oh, I, I, I had logic. I had logic. Yep, sitting. so did I. And I was just like, ah, but but I only want to spend three hours editing this show. And if I go to the new program, whatever day I do that, it's going to be ten hours. Mm-hmm. I and had, so you just never I had do it. Seven, never used it. I bought seven and never used it <laughs> yeah, because I see? was convinced that I needed to learn it. I mean, seven. The UI was just like a. It was like a toxic hell stew, basically, uh, and and the, like ten when they brought ten out, I was like, right, I can go in and do this now, because or X. Or I actually don't. It's called X, right? Did they call it X or they call it ten? They call this one X, don't they? They could go back. Uh, no, ten, I, I think it's ten. Oh, so confusing. Wait, seven to ten. Um, and then when that came out, I was like, I can, I can understand this, and it's new, so I can kind of jump in, and I did that. But that that took me a long time to then learn it, you know. And I'm still learning it. This is the thing. Like I use Logic every single day, and there are so many features I don't, I don't fully understand how to use yet. But I know what I know, and I know what I need to know. Um, and that's kind of a very kind of uh, yeah. a, a, sim- a simple thing for everybody. Do you know what's hilarious? Right now, I've just been told on my Mac to learn what's new in OS 10 Yosemite. It's like they can hear oh, us. You know, mm-hmm. come on over, guys. Let me show you how no, to use it. The, the, the dialogue box should be like accept or deny. <laughs> just no. I don't want to know. <laughs> Do not tell me anything that's new. I think I, I think Connor's question is good. I, I'm 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 kind of serious. I feel like we. You know, we should come back to this at some point. Um, I think this is something that uh, interesting podcasts that I listen to touch on this some sometimes, but I feel like maybe this is the un. A lot of times, it's the unsaid thing. Um, maybe upgrade is the right place, since that's really what the name of this podcast is—to yeah. talk about like something you hear on Mac Power users or something Merlin talks about on Back to Work. Uh, he does that sometimes too, and um, and it, it, there's this this. 
I'm fascinated by that idea that, that software companies work very hard to create things that are new, new tools, things to improve your workflow, and users tend to fight against it, which is an interesting push and pull. Like, you know, we need to give you, instead of it being users with pitchforks and torches demanding new features, uh, the, 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 the way it seems to work in the software world is all the users are like, no, don't change it. And the software company is like, guys, we got to stay in business. You got to buy new features. Here, here are some new features for you. You'll like them. Try them. Come on. And the user's like, no, no, I don't want anything new. Um, not all users, but that happens a lot. That happens a lot with people who really rely on certain pieces of software to do their jobs because they don't like change. They've got these super optimized workflows and it's a challenge because that, that you, um, it's hard to, to move things ahead. I think this is why Apple, this, I mean, this is exactly why everybody freaked out when Apple did Final Cut 10. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying Final Cut 10 was a good idea. I, all right, let's see. I am. I think it was a good idea in general to say we're going to we want to do something that's very different. The problem was the way they communicated it and the way they put it out there. It was everybody perceived it as being oh you should upgrade, and it wasn't. It didn't have the features that anybody who was using the previous version of Final Cut uh, could. You know, so many of them couldn't upgrade to yep. it because it wasn't really an upgrade. They should probably have called it. You know. Something new, new cut, second cut. I don't well, know what. Been, it should have been just labeled as a beta, like initially, and just. I, I kind of feel like it way. should have been. I kind of feel like it should have been a new name, a new name, yeah. maybe harkening back to the old name yeah. 1.0, because that's what it was, right? But I understand why Apple wanted to do that, and I and I totally understand why the users rebelled against it, because again, you make your livelihood in Final Cut Pro, and Apple gives you this thing, and you're like, whoa, this is nothing like what I used, and they're, you know, again, optimized workflows. I've got everything where I want it. Now you're completely messing this up, and even if in the end, after a lot of work and a bunch of updates, it is a better approach. That's a lot of work that people may not want to do ever or right now. And just like you and me with logic, same thing. It was clearly uh, going to be in the end. And that's, that's why I finally jumped is I realized, you know, my frustrations with GarageBand reached the point where I knew that I needed to put in the time. Um, this is actually very similar to our feedback last week about, um, about scripting, uh, you know, an automator and things like that. It's like, at some point you realize, oh my God, if I put in five hours right now, I'm going to save a hundred hours in the next year. And that's, that's what drives that change, I think, is that final realization that what you've got now, although you've optimized it, is just not good enough. And there's something out there that probably is better. And then you, you take the plunge. And also, like Apple ripping out some of the podcast templates and features in GarageBand was like, okay, time to go to Logic. Like, they're, they're Apple making their like the decision made on this, you can still use the old garage band, but at some point, it was like with Final Cut, right? It's like at some point, you're not going to use it anymore, so you got to kind of learn the new thing. So I decided instead of trying to get, learn the workarounds, which there are workarounds to get in garage band to still output as a podcast like you'd want, I figured it's just time to move to Logic. But this 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 topic, this this idea, like you mentioned a moment ago about the company deciding that they need new feet, that you know listeners need new features and you, and and uh, sorry, users need new features and users rebelling ties in really interestingly to the to the software turnaround that we've been talking about recently. You know, like who then? Who is actually pushing the need for a yearly yearly release cycle? Like, is it the company, you know, Apple, thinking that if they don't do this, they're going to be irrelevant, or is it users really wanting it, and maybe users don't want it? You know, I just think it's an interesting thing that actually ties back to something that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, what where is the drive? 
I, I think there's some features that uh, users. I mean, the fact is, it's that it's that famous thing about the faster horse that I guess maybe somebody actually said the uh, you know if you ask people what they wanted a carri- you know carriage horse and buggy users they'd say a faster horse they wouldn't say a car users don't always know what they want and that's sort of Steve Jobs famously has said that that they don't do a lot of focus group testing at Apple right because people don't know what they actually what what they what they need until uh, Apple comes up with it and 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 presents it to them and there, there's some truth to that there are features that you're like oh my god this is so great but there are also things that it's that march of progress it's like oh well you you need to change how you do things but in the end it'll be great and people are going to be much more resistant to that than if it's like a totally new thing i I think that comes out of left field um it's yeah this is really interesting we've gone beyond follow-up now i feel bad because we 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 had short follow-up and now that hasn't happened but this is really a topic so thank thank you uh uh, upgrady and connor for for driving us into this topic which is i think one of the core questions of being a technology user and i think one of the core things that we uh, have been and should continue to talk about on this show, which is essentially upgrade or not, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and that's and it, 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 upgrades aren't always upgrades, right? U- upgrades aren't always what the people want. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, Sometimes uh, subscription stuff for for uh, companies like Adobe uh, it, and and Microsoft is doing this too. You could argue that that's a part of this too. That in some ways, potentially having a subscription service for your software could allow you to escape from the we're going to shove uh, an upgrade at you every year or two because we need the money to this other model, which is, look, just pay to use our software. We'll keep updating it. You keep using it. Um, there's nice winner. thing, Right. There's nice things about that. There are also bad things. Like they just push you a new version. <laughs> and you're like, what? wait, what happened to my old version? And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, that can happen with, with some of that stuff, especially web apps that happens like Google docs. we got a new version, but I liked your old version too bad. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, fascinating stuff. Let's uh, get back I, to follow up. Yeah. I, a couple more quick follow up items and then we'll jump into some of the other big topics we've got. Um, listener Diane asked if anyone was considering that Apple could be planning a magnetic charger, like the, I like the Apple watch is supposed to have, um, and I think people, I've heard people talk about that. You know, MagSafe is that, though. MagSafe is the magnetic charger. Um, it's smaller, I believe, than the one that's on the Apple Watch. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I I, um, I I think it's unlikely that there would be an induction-based right. charger on the MacBook Air. I suppose it's possible, but there are, then you need to have a pad or something to put it on. Um, I... I, I I don't feel like that's going to be what it, what they're going to do. So th- that's my quick answer. I think what people are, are wondering with that question is, are they going to bypass that single USB for power completely? Yeah. I think that's the question, right? I don't think so. No, neither do I. Because one, Gurman probably would have found that out. And two, right. I don't know where you put it. Like other people said, what about on the Apple logo? That would be a disaster. That yeah. would just be a disaster. Like, no. there's no good would come of charging through that little uh, Apple logo there. I can't a little see that window. working very well. No. Um, let's see. Upgradian Zach wrote in, identified himself as an Upgradian, so definitely good an man. Upgradian. Good man. And Diane, of course, is the one who suggested Upgradian to us in the in the beginning, so she's an Upgradian, Diane. Uh, Upgradian Zach says, do you guys think... Apple would dump the 11-inch and 13-inch MacBook Air and replace them with both with the 12-inch. Um, my my take on this is eventually 
I, I think that's probably what would happen, but I don't think it would happen right away only because Apple seems to have had a lot of success keeping old models around that you see the old iPhone models around. And, and the way that works is every year that a chipset is out there, every year, all those components are out there being used. They've already, they've, so they've set up the factory to build them. So that's that no cost. It's already there. You just have to keep the lines running and the parts get cheaper over time. So, uh, a product with a small product margin to begin with can have a very large product margin later on in its life. This is uh, Ben Thompson just had a, a two-part interview uh, on for Stratechery members about uh, where he was talking to Hugo Barra, who used to be uh, working on Android and now is at at uh, Xiaomi in uh, in China, and he's the international VP or something. But uh, he was he was talking about this very this very phenomenon that one of the ways that they are profitable on their hardware is that they'll keep models around for four or five years uh, in different markets. And, you know, after the first year, they get really profitable. And Apple has done that with the iPhone. Um, the thir- the non-retina 13-inch MacBook Pro is still being sold by Apple even now. So my gut feeling is that the 11 and 13 Airs will keep keep on for a while. Um, and that's why my gut feeling is that the new 12 will be more expensive than the than the uh, old airs because it'll be retina and they're not and they'll be old tech so they'll be cheaper because the pr- they can they can cut the prices and still keep their margins really really high um, so that's my gut feeling is that they will eventually fade away but it will be a fade and not just a they're gone that's my if i had to guess that would be my guess because that seems to be it makes seems to make economic sense and it seems to be a strategy that apple really likes cuz that's their that's their phone and ipad strategy too they're, they it didn't used to be this way but look at look at the current ipad line it's the same thing right they they they're all three versions of the ipad mini are still being sold it's crazy so- crazy uh, I, I would like to give my punditry based on uh, please not as much knowledge as you have on these things. I actually think that the eleven and thirteen wouldn't be called won't be called the air anymore. Um, I, I foresee uh, the eleven and thirteen air going away, and the eleven and thirteen as they are currently just become the MacBooks. MacBooks and the twelve takes the air. Because, I like your way of thinking because I don't see if if it is as thin as it is, they're not the same line anymore. And I think Apple are then showing that that twelve inch line is the future of a new product line, like they did with the Air in the first place, and moved the MacBooks. You know, they, when they changed, they've changed all the names around over time, haven't they? Like what's become MacBook has become MacBook Pro, and that kind of thing. So I foresee another shift in the naming again. So they end up with the Air line, the MacBook line, and the MacBook Pro line. It's possible. There's some confusion there, but if they intend, I would say I am on board with that way of thinking if they intend to keep those products around in some form. Yeah. I think the 11 and 13 would stay until then they can improve, they can like stabilize the new air model, make other iterations of that in different sizes and then bump the 11 and 13 out again, like they've Mm. done in the past. Like we had the air, the MacBook and the MacBook Pro, right? And then the MacBook doesn't exist anymore. So I think right. it'd be a similar kind of thing. So they'll bump them up, and then right. when they can get rid of those, they'll remove them. We'll see. I think that's. In, I'm intrigued. Uh, that's a nice, nice bit of punditry. Well done. Thank you. Five points. Yes. Unfortunately, we're not keeping score. Um, <laughs> one last bit of uh, of feedback, which was listener Joe, who said, "If I Mac and iOS only, is there any reason to use one password over just using iCloud Keychain?" really good one uh without going into too much detail because that could be a whole other topic 
I think iCloud Keychain is good, and I think it's better than nothing. Um, I like I, I've already invested in one password, so I feel like I want to keep going with that. But the reasons are, it is more flexible. Um, it I believe iCloud Keychain only works on Safari. On the Mac, is that like, right, Mike? Well, yeah, it doesn't work in Chrome on the iPhone. Yeah, for example. Well, yeah, but on the Mac, does it work? Um, or just in Safari? I'm I'm not 100 percent sure about. I don't that. know. I'm going to say it yeah. does actually. I'm going to say oh, okay. it does. All right. Okay. So more flexibility. I'll find out. <laughs> other browse other browsers on iOS, it doesn't work in. Um, uh, it, it has a great feature where if you if you sync your um, one password on Dropbox. Um, you can actually access inside the the one password bundle is an HTML file that you can open in a web browser, and you can put in your password and you can use one password with just access to the file and no software at all, which is awesome. Um, it supports for multiple accounts on sites. Apple's iCloud Keychain is kind of brain dead. Um, it's really really good for one login, but if you have more than one login, it's not so good. It's also, if it doesn't work on a particular site, you're just out of luck. Whereas with 1Password, you can actually go in and edit which fields you want to have it be saved, and then it'll work. Um, It's an extra layer of security because uh, when you unlock your phone and are using Safari, iCloud Keychain will work. Uh, Whereas with 1Password, you have to enter in another password in order to get it. I'd say iCloud Keychain is really great to have around, and I use it for some things. I've got something saved in iCloud Keychain, and I just don't even have to bring up 1Password in those instances. I can be like, yeah, iCloud Keychain, great. Um, But it's it's a typical story of Apple doing a feature that is really, really nice and friendly and broad. And if you're using the very base set of features, it's good enough. And if you want to go beyond that, then that's where the third parties are strong. So I found a Chrome support document um, that says on a Mac, Google Chrome uses the keychain access to store your login information. So I don't know if it's pulling from it, but at least it stores there. I think for me with with one password, the other thing is I feel like I have more visibility of what's actually in there. Um, I, I find the key the iCloud keychain to be a little bit more hazy and it doesn't and really have update UI. You've got the keychain assistant, uh, you know, keychain access, and all of that, and yeah. I mean, it's it's again, it, Apple's trying to keep it simple and faceless, and when it works, it's fine, as long as you're always on iOS or Mac. Keychain um, shouldn't do any more than it already does. It does everything it should be doing, in my opinion. And then if you want more, you go one password. Same yes. as like reading list, like yeah. it does the bare minimum, and then if you want yeah. more. There was one thing I wanted to mention, Jason. Um, yes. It's not really a follow-up, but I saw it today, and I thought it might interest you. Mac user in mm. the UK um, is is closing its doors, the magazine. Indeed. Yeah. Um, now, I know that Mac user in the US. Is Mac user in the US affected? Do you know? I Mac have... user in the US doesn't exist. Mac user oh. in the UK was the only Mac user remaining. I started my career at Mac user. What happened is if Davis licensed the name outside of the UK for uh, from Dennis Publishing in the UK. And so... Um, all the other Mac users around the world were Ziff Davis. And then when Ziff Davis and, and uh, IDG got together and merged Mac user into Mac world, all the Mac users went away except for Mac user UK. So Mac user UK 
Uh, it's actually the reason why Macworld in the UK gives stars instead of mice. It's because the mouse rating originated with Mac user, hmm. whereas Macworld in the US, when when it took over Mac user, decided to keep the mice the mice around instead of the stars, just because it was a, a little more distinctive. And there were enough of us who were from Mac user who were like, "Come on, use the mouse, use the mouse." Mouse and the Eddie Awards stuck around, even though the, those were originally from Mac user. Um, but it must so be a Mac user sad then to see Mac it user is. shut completely shut its doors now. It is. It's the last, the last uh, thing with that name. Um, and so that is said. It, it's a very similar story to the one that I've told about IDG, which is, like IDG, Dennis Publishing was run by a uh, iconoclastic billionaire <laughs> who did <laughs> what he wanted and who passed away. I mean, Felix Dennis, quite more... Uh, uh, of a character, an outsized character than Pat McGovern. Um, but uh, same story, which is he passed away and uh, and they're running the business differently. And whether that directly impacted uh, the shutting down of Mac user, my gut feeling is that like Pat McGovern, it was uh, more difficult to get rid of some of the longstanding products with the founder around than when the founder was gone. But it, it has had some great people work there, and some great people um, came out of there over the last 20 years. Um, I first got to know Ian Betteridge when he was doing Mac user. And it, it's a shame. Uh, Mac World UK, as far as I know, is still going strong, um, which is great. And I, I hope to be over there in uh, March and actually visit with those guys. But not you. No. Well, maybe Ugh. you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I'm not seeing you at Ool, uh in Ireland, then I will try to see you in London. One of those things will happen. Maybe so, we'll do an upgrade, live upgrade. Ooh. Wouldn't that be something, an in-person version of upgrade? We haven't done that yet. We have not done that yet. Hmm? Jason, would you like to thank a friend before we get into some topics an hour in? Is that your way of saying that I am I'm thanking the friend personally? Yeah. Okay. Well, then in that case, it must be MailRoute. You and bet I have, it is. <laughs> I'm happy to thank my friends at MailRoute. I, I like to fr- thank them frequently because when I open my mail and there's not spam in it, one of the big reasons why is because I use MailRoute. Um, if you can imagine this crazy world that I live in, there's no spam, no viruses, no bounced email messages. I open my mail and I only see legitimate mail, the stuff that I want to see. And that's because of MailRoute. MailRoute uh, isn't hardware. It isn't software. It is a cloud service. So it sits between uh, your mail and the big bad internet. And it takes the mail in. It uses its intelligent filters to figure out what's spam and, and, and what's virus and what's bounces. It filters that stuff out. And then it passes all the other mail along to your mail server. So um, for a while, I was running my own mail server in my house over my own internet line. And every spam message that came in was slowing down my internet line. And uh, MailRoute stopped that, which was awesome. And I, I, I still use it to this day. It is really good at filtering out just the bad stuff and letting the good stuff through. They've got a, a digest they sent me every day that says everything that they filtered out. And there's a one-click uh, hyperlink in that in that message so that I can auto-deliver and whitelist any messages that happened to be marked as spam but weren't. And that doesn't happen very often. They're just very good at, at uh, uh, keeping the good stuff good and the bad stuff bad. If you are an email administrator or an IT professional, you'll be happy to know that MailRoute will work great for you. They've got an API for easy account management. They support LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Outbound Relay, Mike's favorite, which is mailbagging. Mailbagging! Everything you want from the people handling your mail. Remove spam from your life for good. Go to mailroute.net slash upgrade. You'll get a free trial. You can try this out without paying them anything. And 
If you use MailRoute.net slash upgrade, you can sign up for 10% off, and that's 10% off the lifetime of your account with MailRoute. It's not a temporary thing. It is the lifetime of your time with MailRoute. So thank you so much to MailRoute for filtering out my spam and sponsoring Upgrade. Thank you, MailRoute. And a good friend. So, Jason, you did something really interesting uh, this past <laughs> week. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> you, you went into full-on video production mode at Six Colors HQ. Multiple cameras and everything. Tell me, I, tell me about why you wanted to do this and what the article was about. I, I, I think my, my children would dispute the idea that I'm a YouTuber, but uh, I did post. I did post. I got some work to do to be a YouTuber, um, but I did post a video. This isn't new for me. I have actually done multi-camera uh, video stuff uh, all by myself before for the various MacWorld how-to videos that we did over the years, and actually for a lot of the stuff that I did under NDA. Uh, the you know new Apple products, they would say you'd sign this NDA that said we talked about this in episode one. In fact, they signed these NDAs saying nobody but your you know you can show it to your family, but they they are also under the NDA and you can't show it to anybody else. It's just you at your whole editorial organization. It's just you, which is kind of ridiculous because you got to have editors and you know, there's planning and all of that, but that was what the NDA was. And so I would sometimes do these videos where I was setting up two cameras and I was editing it myself and I was doing all the technical stuff and shooting it and editing it. And then I post it and, and simultaneous with me posting this con- completely homemade video about an, the iPhone four or something, there'd be on, uh, on D- the D site at the time. All, all things digital uh, there would be a Walt Mossberg video wh- where he was like clearly in a studio with a bunch of cameras and that there was obviously a whole technical staff who put this together because I'm telling you Walt didn't edit that himself and I was like God Walt Mossberg <laughs> it was like he was he was uh, he was uh, going a little bit beyond the, the, the letter of the NDA um, but at the same time I was happy to do it because I, I do know how to uh, edit a video if I have to. So um, so I've done that in the past, and I, I want to do more of that. I, I would like to do regular videos on Six Colors. Um, if I can find reasons to do them, I will do them. So I did one about CarPlay. Um, I, I followed Marco Arment's lead, and uh, he, he bought a, a CarPlay unit uh, for testing Overcast, because he wanted to do Overcast on CarPlay. And the way he did it was he bought, he bought a unit on Amazon, I think, and bought a couple of adapters so that he could just run it on his desk and not put it in a car. And so that's what I did. I bought, I bought a, a Pioneer a CarPlay uh, double din, uh, you know, head unit on uh, Amazon, and I bought a couple of those same adapters that Marco recommended, and plugged it in, and got to use CarPlay, and then um, decided I would do a video because there are not that many. There's some, but there are not that many CarPlay videos, and most of them date back to the fall. And I wanted to give my uh, my readers a, a view of what CarPlay looks like today. Because I think it's still a little mysterious, and I, I figured not enough people are, are are writing about or talking about CarPlay. And uh, by having a CarPlay unit in my in my house, I can uh, stay up on it if I need to. And if it if this becomes a thing at all, I will you know I'll be able to write about new stuff that happens with CarPlay. So I figured it was worth the five hundred bucks or something I had to pay to buy the to buy the hardware. So I made a video, um, which required me to. That was a challenge. I, I ended up with. Uh, a camera shooting me on a on a tripod that was fine but to get a camera in position to shoot the screen with the carplay interface on it uh was tricky i ended up with a with a an iphone on a tripod uh, uh 
and uh, had that like on my keyboard tray pointing at the at the screen of the of the CarPlay thing. CarPlay looks like a disaster. <laughs> uh, I don't recommend it to anyone. No, it looks like a total mess. Yeah. Like so what if you haven't already go and watch the video. Uh I love that there's a video by the way because I am I'm yeah. more I, I like to to see that kind of thing and rather than than just read it. So go, you pull here. 6 minutes of a guy pushing te- buttons on a touchscreen. Woo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so just you can go over to our show notes relay.fm slash upgrade slash 19 you'll see it in there and go watch the video and that's where I am right now that is Six Colors World Headquarters I'm not kidding that is the corner of my office with the, with the microphone I'm talking into right now and everything so if you want to uh, completely ruin your vision of how I do this show uh, watch that video perfect um, it seems like the only app on the entire system that looks and kind of works the way you'd want it to is probably Maps. It's Maps, yeah. Everything else, yeah. Lo- it looked buggy. Like, even, like, the phone. Like, Siri just didn't work, it seemed like, for some of it. Like, you were trying to, to call your wife, right? And I, yeah. I, I noticed that you cut the video because it looked like Siri was just not not understanding. It was like, what number would you like? And it'd be like, home, and it'd be like, well, I don't know what the I think in the is. video, I just tap the, I just tap the screen. I'm yeah. like, forget it. You just like, just go away. Um, well, there's a timing issue with Siri a lot of the time where, where it will, um, uh, it, it beeps maybe a little late and you're trying to say it. And so it missed it. And then by the time you say it again, it's given up. And so you end up in this, you know, really, if, if you get the timing wrong with Siri, it can get really frustrating. And you mentioned like you show like the messages and you're dictating a message. It's like why can I not just use the audio feature, like just record an audio and send? That? Yeah, that one completely baffles me. Is that is they 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 put in this audio messages thing in iOS eight, <laughs> and CarPlay doesn't support it, which would seem to be the best way to communicate in the car. Is that you could send an audio message to somebody, and then they if they wanted to send text back to you. At least as an option. I don't know how the interface works to say I prefer, you know, maybe Siri says this. you want to send this person an audio message because I think Siri knows um, whether it's it's compatible or not. But it, it would be, uh, yeah, I don't understand why because that would be much easier for me to, to just say, hey, Mike, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm headed over. I'll be there in 20 minutes and have it just send my audio of me saying that. Uh, and then if you wanted to reply, it would just, I'd just hear your voice and, and it's not, it doesn't do that. It's all text to speech, yep. uh, speech to text. Just that's, yeah, it feels like it's old Siri. It, it actually, the, uh, Gruber was writing about how he feels like Siri's gotten a lot better lately. And I agree. Um, I, when I use CarPlay, I feel like, oh, this is how Siri used to be. It does. It feels like old Siri. It doesn't feel like oh, better Siri. It feels like it's. It feels more laggy, and maybe that's just because it's going through the the, the CarPlay interface. I had some people ask me also, could it just be that the Pioneer unit is lousy, not the CarPlay is lousy? And my understanding is that what's happening is the iPhone is projecting CarPlay onto the the Pioneer unit. So it, the Pioneer head unit is responsible for. Um, perhaps the uh, scrolling being laggy and the, certainly for the touchscreen not being great and sometimes mistaking uh, scrolls for taps and things like that. But I think everything else is the fault of iOS. <laughs> everything else I think yep. is coming from the, the phone. I had a couple people say to me, oh, I found it works a lot better. Uh, third-party apps work a lot better when you turn off the phone and then turn it back on. And I'm like, okay. One that's terrible. Like as, and two, as, as, as a I, as a thing to help, yeah. like in the car yeah. wash or driving, it's the worst possible thing. And two, I tried it and it didn't help. 
it, 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 I think it made the iHeartRadio app menu come up the first time, but then it still crashed. And in the video, you get to hear me crash Overcast. Yeah. I believe while playing ATP, that's extra funny. Uh, but it certainly it crashes it crashes overcast while I'm using it and it just sort of sputters to a stop and then goes back to the yeah, to the main it started screen. to sound all like distorted and then overcast yeah. just like exploded yeah the third party apps are I, I if if it only happened on one of them I would say okay this you know Marco or the iHeartRadio people didn't do a very good job with their first iteration of it but they're both really buggy so as far as I can tell the third party apps thing is still a mess Apple's website lists all of these third party apps that are supported by CarPlay and I can only find like two or three that actually work on CarPlay they've got like Beats Music it's on CarPlay nope nope it's not <laughs> it's not and, and and it makes me think. Um, it makes me think that this is this is a problem, and there's not a lot of scrutiny being put on CarPlay right now, so they can get away with it. But it's just not it's just not fully baked. I think the third party stuff is a mess. I've asked Marco a couple of times. I said I, I sent him some emails saying I'm seeing lots of problems with CarPlay, and I haven't gotten a response from him. I wonder if that's one of those. You know, can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But I don't blame him or the iHeartRadio developers. I feel like. Um, I feel like the 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 third party stuff is is really half baked, like from CarPlay, as far as I can tell. It's it's all unstable, and then the main CarPlay stuff isn't great. Maps is the best one. I I do I do feel like this is a little bit. Um, oh, I should say I didn't wire in the parking brake, which I need to do because the interface is slightly different. That was the while driving interface. There is a more full interface, like a keyboard will come up and stuff if you're parked. Oh, okay. um, but you but that's wired into the parking brake, and you can actually buy something on Amazon that overrides that, and that's for people who want to watch videos while they're driving, I guess, oh, which is Lord. very dangerous. And don't oh, do that, but you word. can do that. So I may buy one of those and wire it in just to get um, just to do what I what I need to do to test this stuff. But you know, the larger point is is that yeah, the Maps app feels exactly like what I want it to be, which is oh, this is this is Maps uh in a, a dashboard context that's actually kind of great i i like that a lot the rest of it not so much like the music app even um it, it seems like there are no concessions to long lists you've got this little tiny screen um and you can't do you know the the abcd down the side you just have a, a list that you have to scroll through and like on my honda uh, odyssey minivan that we have that's about four years old it's i got an ipod interface and it's just got a click wheel basically um to connect to the uh, iPod, but it's got on its little crappy slow interface. It has this A to Z mode where you, um, if you're if you have a list of you know 500 artists because you have have a, a device with lots of storage capacity attached, you can go you can go A to Z and basically you can scroll through the letters till you get to the letter where your artist is, and then you then you click and then it shows you all the artists starting with that letter and it's a way to jump down in the list even though you don't have the um, you know the interface for it because you could never scroll through that. There, there are very few, if any, concessions to that kind of thing it's in this interface. It just seems really rudimentary. Um, and yeah, I, I would, I haven't put it in my car, and I'm not going to. I've got a Sony Bluetooth um, stereo in there that I bought a few years ago, and I can, you know, my phone is paired with it, and I can pause and and press the back button and press the forward button and move around in podcasts, and um, it's fine. 
and it will not show me anything because it doesn't have a, a video screen on it, but it will play the audio of my turn-by-turn navigation, and it's good enough. And, and CarPlay, for these expensive units, um, it's just not ready. I'm, 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 I think it's actually good for all concerned that there are only a few devices that support this, mm-hmm. and there are very few cars currently that have it because it doesn't feel like it's a finished product. Like CarPlay's one thing, the one thing that uh, it is intended to do is to stop distracting you, right? That's the, the idea of it existing is to provide a, a, an interface that doesn't distract and allows you to focus and concentrate on driving. So right. stability and, and ease, ease of usability needs to be at the fore. And mm-hmm. your video shows that that's actually couldn't be further from the truth, because some of the things that you would want to do, like you know, using the kind of the the, the voice memo stuff to send messages, is less distracting um, yeah. than than dictating and listening and having it fail. Um, and stability kind of needs to be key. Maybe there shouldn't be third party apps at all um, on CarPlay if, if this is the case right now, especially if they're allowing them in one at a time. <laughs> they should be like really scrutinized. Well, you want you what you want is you I mean there definitely need to be third-party apps because the Apple apps don't do, you want access to different music services and you want access to different audio stuff and you maybe want access to different um uh, information like t- different driving things, right? Like I I could see them allowing Waze and Google Maps on and I could see them allowing you know, Beats and Pandora and and Rhapsody and all the all the music services on there, like iHeartRadio and podcast players, like Overcast. That kind of makes sense. It's as a as an Overcast user, I don't want to have um have to use the podcast app for my podcasts because I don't, <laughs> and I'm not going to go back to the podcast app just so I can play po- different podcasts in my car than the ones I'm playing when I'm not in my car using Overcast, and I'm not going to abandon Overcast. So having the third-party stuff in there could be good. Major League Baseball is supposed to be one of the partners. Again, it's not actually... At least they're not in the season now, so they have an excuse. But that's one of those things that I've wanted. I've wanted a Major League Baseball display um, in my car for a long time. I keep thinking that would be a great use because they could have like a, a scoreboard, and you could tap on a game, and it would play the audio and maybe put up a little like simplified status of, like, here's what the score is, here's who's batting something that is not super distracting but adds some information um and that those are good uses of it but right now it's interesting too because i have not used android auto but it's it's fascinating to see that with with android auto google is trying to um it looks like make a more dense um set of uh set of interface elements than what apple is using which is super simplified and on as a user I like the idea that Google is is going in where it's a little more refined. I understand as somebody who wants to not get in a car crash, maybe Apple's approach is better. <laughs> but it's a it's problematic. Let's just say that. I, I, I find it funny that this is supposed to be the solution to bad UI from uh you know car entertainment, infotainment uh manufacturers, and yet here's Apple with something that's kind of bad. Um, that's fascinating to me. I guess the car is a harder problem than maybe uh, they thought it was. Well, it's basically, I think, I think my kind of view on this is Google is better placed than Apple to understand how to develop for hardware they don't control. Huh? Well, I mean, the way Apple is doing it is they are, um, 
I mean, they're mandating like the, the the CarPlay window is always the same size, and there are two approaches, which is touchscreen approach or button based approach that you can use, and it's got to have a microphone input and it's got to have audio output, and so they they it is. Um, I don't think that's the problem. Right. <laughs> I, I you know again I I I don't love the touchscreen on this Pioneer unit. It, it's poor. Um, and using an Apple created interface on a touchscreen that reacts the way it does is a weird experience, and that that is something that they're going to have to learn, and that you know it may it may reflect poorly on them. But the all the other issues that I'm having seem to stem back to uh, they 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 stem from Apple's uh, own software. <laughs> And their own decisions about this. And like I said, this is like a stealth product in a way. I think people aren't even talking about it. In fact, probably whoever is working on CarPlay at Apple saw my thing. And it's like, oh, why are they writing about CarPlay now? Stop. Someone's written about CarPlay. (laughs) There's like an alarm went off somewhere. Because it's just, you know, it's below the radar. But, um, you know, I was really excited when Marco talked about how he was building a third-party app. It's like, well, that's really interesting. I should get on this. And now I've seen the third-party apps. I'm like, oh, my God. It's not good. It's not good. So it was fun to do it. Um, I, I put it off. I got that CarPlay unit in December, and I just I put it off for a while because I was traveling. And also just because the first time I used it, I was like, oh, my God, this is awful. And I had to think about it for a while, and I wanted to get some other third-party apps. And finally, I had to do it. So um, if nothing else... Um, the video will give you an idea of what this thing is without having to actually uh, see it in person. And that, that's why I did a video, because I feel like even even taking pictures of the screen would not do it justice, that you really needed to sort of see how the interactions worked. And I'll do a follow-up at some point with if I can find uh, a way to um, enable the... Um, the the features that have to you have to have the parking brake on the stopped you know when stopped features if I can figure out how to enable that I, I and there's something substantial there I'll try to I'll try to do an update um, I I don't want to install it in my car and I also when um, GPS apps started to come out for the iPhone I did a, a video that I shot in my car driving around and it was so painful to do that that I don't I don't want to make videos in my car if I can help it so I'd rather have it be sitting on my desk. <laughs> Podcasters in cars testing CarPlay. Exactly. New, well, new it's, series it, from Jason Still. Especially if, if I had camera people, it would be different. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I shoot most of these videos by myself. And so I was trying to figure out how you could lock down a camera somewhere and actually get a picture of the phone doing the thing um, when you're going over bumps and the cameras are you know, jostling or falling off where you had them tied up. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, I don't want to do that. Plus, I don't really... If I was really in love with it, I would put it in my car uh, because I would think, oh, it's so cool, and I don't want it in my car. I just don't. I don't want CarPlay in my car. <laughs> I, want car I want desk play, okay? Keep it at that. Yeah. yeah. Jason, would you like to tell me about Stamps.com? I could do that. I could do that. Um, stamps.com, thank you for sponsoring Upgrade. Getting your... Uh, mailing and shipping done. If you are, especially if you're a, a small business, maybe you've got a side business, you work all day and then you come home and you need to ship things out for your for your small business. Um, it can seem like a no-win situation because you go to the post office, it takes up time. If you're not available during post office hours, you're kind of stuck. Uh, you could lease a postage meter that's expensive. There are multi-year commitments and lots of hidden fees, but there's a better way. It's stamps.com. 
Uh, with stamps.com, you buy and print official U.S. postage. This is why Mike can't. He's not allowed. The Queen will not allow him to talk about it. Uh, but but I can. You buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer and printer. You can even get special postage discounts you can't find at the post office. And stamps.com is much more powerful than a postage meter at a fraction of the cost. You can save up to 80% compared to a postage meter, and you'll avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. So if you've ever considered getting a post uh, a postage meter or you um, have one and have dealt with how painful it can be, please consider stamps.com. Now, right now, you can use the promo code UPGRADE and get a special offer. There's a no-risk trial, and there's a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in UPGRADE. That's stamps.com. Click on the microphone. Enter UPGRADE. And then you'll get access to the special deal, and they'll know that we sent you. And I've sent a package with Stamps.com. I've got some other stuff I need to fulfill for my incomparable business that I'm going to be using to test out Stamps.com. And something to Mike as well, because uh, he because he deserves it, and because you can also ship internationally using Stamps.com. So thanks to Stamps.com for sponsoring the show, and my sincere apologies to Mike because the queen is mean and will not let him send things with stamps.com. It makes me sad, but I'm happy that stamps.com uh, is allowing me to receive gifts. So there you can't, go. Can't, can't argue with that. Yeah, exactly. So the you'll receive something from the great incomparable incorporated empire at a future time. Wow. I'm excited. Yeah, about yeah it. I know. So uh, there's been an interesting... Like not, I don't trend. I don't know about trend, but like a couple of articles this week um, about app sales. So uh, the guys at Us Two Games released a really interesting infographic about what's happened with Monument Valley, kind of sales wise and revenue wise. Mm-hmm. And then Marco posted a fantastic piece on his blog um, about how Overcast has fared in 2014. So. I kind of I was interested, Jason, because I know that you you linked to Marco's piece, and there may be more to say uh, about Marco's piece in, in our world than the Monument Valley. However, if you haven't seen the Monument Valley infographic, you should because the numbers are staggering to see, mm-hmm. um, sort of download wise and revenue wise, and also the piracy, uh, which is really interesting, and maybe it's a topic for another day. Um, but I wonder, kind of, Jason, what do you what do you well, one like what do you think about developers releasing this information? Do you think it's helpful? Who is it helpful to? And kind of what is your take on it? I think it's really helpful because it's very hard. It's very easy to get the. Uh, the 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 dream of being an app developer and just making the the guess that oh it's the luxurious life of an app developer and and uh, boy these app developers they've really got it made and I think it's good to get the, these data points and we've seen other indie developers release information too because I think it gives everybody a sen- a better sense of um, if you're going to become an app developer what are you getting yourself into and what are the success stories and what do they look like and what are the uh, what are the hits and what do they look like? And what are the misses? And what do they look like? I, I think I think it's good to have that information out there. I also feel like um, nobody um, nobody should feel they they need to do it. Uh, but I'm very happy for the people who decide. Like Marco said, nobody wants to talk about money. 
but I'm appreciative that Marco was willing to talk about money because people, if nobody talks about it, then nobody really has an idea of what's going on. And the more disclosure you, you get, the better, the clearer a picture you get. Uh, a lot of the comments I saw about Marco's thing were about the fact that um, he totaled up how much money Apple has made on Overcast. Mm. And, uh, you know, we all know that Apple takes 30%, right? But uh, I saw a lot of comments that um, basically said, wow, 30% is a lot. <laughs> yep, $70,343. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a third of the total. I mean, this is, you think 30%, you're like, ah, 30%, whatever. And then you realize that Marco made $164,000 on Overcast and Apple made 70000 so Overcast made a lot more. <laughs> Overcast made two hundred and forty thousand dollars, but Mark only made one hundred and sixty of that, and Apple made seventy of that because that's what thirty percent is. And so that even that, which is this basic thing that we all know, to see it laid out like that was really interesting. But in in general, I thought it was also fascinating because I view having you and you know you and I see some podcast numbers and we see some statistics about podcast clients and by all accounts from uh, all the podcasters in our sphere at least overcast has been a big hit it, it it went rapidly from being non-existent to being the number 1 or number 2 podcast client in my feeds it's number They're, 1 for everything on really yeah yeah it, it's it's with I think, a bullet as well in some instances. I think iTunes iTunes may be bigger on some of my feeds, but mostly it's Overcast. And you could actually see the other clients go down as Overcast went up. Yeah. So it was a huge hit. And so by uh, within our little little realm, which is a tiny, tiny realm within this larger world of iOS App Store. So what it's fascinating to see is that Overcast, which by all accounts is a huge hit in its chosen market, is not you know, throwing off millions and millions of dollars. It's throwing off um, something that looks like a maybe sustainable business for Marco. As he put it, something that he can do while he's, you know, uh, not working for someone else on something I don't care about is what he said. He can work in his home office, drink his fussy coffee, take a nap after lunch if he wants to, and be around for his family. And that's successful for, you know, in by his definition. And I, I, you know, that resonated for me because I'm in a very similar position where I'm not looking to create a media empire where I'm going to build a, a business and get investment and grow and get millions and millions of dollars. I'm looking to create a sustainable uh, business that will allow me to live my life and support my family. And that that is, so on one level, I'm really encouraged by Marco's post because he's saying he can do that. On another level, though, I look at it and think, this is what dominating your, granted, niche product category, but still, dom- he's dominating that category, and this is what he's making, which suggests to me that iOS podcast apps is a category that only has a couple hundred thousand dollars in it. And that makes me think secondarily, um, you know, ouch, (laughs) that's not sustainable for at least uh, an ecosystem of apps, right? It's it's all those apps that Marco used to link to in Overcast. Um, They can't all be making this. If he's number one and this is what he's making, then none of the others are probably throwing off on iOS uh, something close to that now. And uh, that's I so so I'm happy that it's sustainable for Marco, but his app was also a real success, and we see it continuing to be a success. So uh, that that yeah, that gives me some pause because what it says is that if you're not dominating like Marco is, you're not your app is not going to provide a, co- a comfortable living 
on its own. Maybe you've got other apps and you cobble them together. Maybe you've got some freelance work. However you do it, um, I think that's the other side of it is that is that, you know, he's it's not just, hey, Overcast did okay. Yay. I, I agree that's true. But then I also think, hey, on my charts, Overcast dominates. So what we're seeing here is it's all okay is what happens with domination in that category. That's a little bit troublesome to me. But that's so what it is. I, I understand what you're saying, but uh, I don't agree. Which is interesting that we keep going down this uh, this this route. All right, but, let's fight, Mike. So When I see you in London... <laughs> fisty cuffs. Yeah. Um, Overcast is dominant for us because right. it's the audience that we... Yeah, our little world. Roll in. I mean, and, and interestingly enough... Um, Upgrade uh, has the lowest percentage of overcast in for us. Interesting of all of the shows. Oh, upgradians, you you yourselves are all so iconoclastic. We love you. It is still the majority holder, but it's less. And and uh, Apple on iTunes has a bigger cut for this show than than any other show that we do. I genuinely think the audience is different, and and uh, I hope that as we start to move into different areas. Uh, we see different different things happen, like the pen addict as well is a is a lower figure hmm. because it's a different different world. But I don't see this as a like a uh, only a couple of hundred dollar uh, hundred thousand dollar industry because if you take a look at what happened at the end of the year at the end of two thousand fourteen, there was an uptick for Marco, and he calls it the yes. serial bump. Yes. So what that tells me is. There are people in the world that found out about podcasts and and downloaded Overcast, but it also tells me that there is room to grow because I expect that whilst Marco is a dominant uh, player for us in the wider market, that is that is not the case, and that um, Apple is the dominant dominant force, and it's interesting um, as to why that's happening. But if you think, for example, so if Serial has had a million listeners, right? Which was the, the uh, that that number been bounded about a lot. But let's just say that that's possible that they had a million people listen. Mm-hmm. And Marco is at potentially around two hundred thousand active users. He doesn't really go into too much detail, but he says two hundred thousand people launched the app and got far enough to create an account. So we'll say let's let's just say best case scenario, it's two hundred thousand people. Those numbers, do you see what I mean? They're they're kind of they're very different. Yeah. So, so that says to me that Marco has like eight hundred thousand potential more people to go just for one show, and then when you open it up to what the wider audience can be, so these these are all it's all just me kind of just thinking as I'm going. But like what this tells me is there is a market for Marco to be successful. There is a market for us to be successful as well of what we do in podcasting as a whole. And I see these two things as as positives. They're, they're positive trends, and the fact that Marco is continuing to make, on average, like what is it, like fifteen fifteen thousand dollars a month, and yeah. there's uh, no that's that's huge because my concern was going to be he was going to sell all of his all of his in app purchases and then no one would ever give him any more money ever. Yeah, I I figured that I th- I think everybody had that fear for for Overcast was that it was going to have a barnstormer of a start, yeah, and then that was it. But it, yeah. it definitely seems like that's not the case. I mean, and I saw a lot of independent app developers were like, "This is good news mm. um, to see." Can 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 I get your opinion on something? Because I see people complain, or not complain, but I see people make this um, 
claim, and and I wonder what you think about it. Uh, Marco's successful, so of course. (laughs) He's famous, so of course. Right. That's fine for Marco. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I look. Everybody's different. Marco has some unique uh, things about hi- who he is. Um, I, you know, Marco's notoriety and the fact that he's got this wildly successful podcast helps him launch a product. So, the numbers at the beginning are those attributable in large part to his notoriety. Sure. It's a great marketing platform for him. The fact that he talked about the travails of developing Overcast on ATP for weeks and weeks, um, it, it helps. It made me it made me want to see it that much more. Um, and so that's that that is true. And that you know, marketing is marketing, and Marco's got Marco marketing, Marco marketing, Marco marketing. Um, he he's got his own way of doing it. and He's got his own fan base, and and that's good. Uh, that'll only get you so far. So I think that that trend at the very end of the of the the stats where he's still selling things, that's that's the encouraging thing, like you said, that people who know Marco have got overcast if they're gonna get it. And now it's people who are finding overcast. And yes, his initial success helps drive the visibility of that app, which helps other people find it. Um, that's true. I, I think there are things to be learned from Marco and his numbers despite that, despite the fact that he is in some ways, um, unique as a developer. Um, yeah. So that, I guess that's my take on it. I, it's hard for me to, to listen to that's fine for Marco statements without fe- feeling a little bit like it's a uh, kind of like sour grapes that, uh, somehow I, yeah. he, he doesn't deserve it or that he, uh, you know, that that just it keeps coming back to that. It's like, well, he's not a he's not he's not one of us. He's he's famous and he's got this podcast and all that. It's like, well, you know what? He was just a he was just a guy when he did build and analyze. He was just a, just some guy. I mean, he he is responsible for having a following. So yep. you can't you can't just say, oh well, it doesn't count because Marco's got a following. It's like, yeah, okay, you know what? That's one way to market your stuff is to become a known person. And not everybody is is going to be able to do that. Not everybody is willing to put themselves out there like that. But um, Marco has, and he's gotten benefit of it, not just uh, from ATP, but from his visibility leading to people being interested in other pro- his other projects. This is twenty first century. That kind of stuff. That's how that's how it works now. Being an anonymous developer who throws a penny into a fountain and hopes that it becomes a hit app is not uh, does not have a great uh, chance of success. But if you're somebody who builds, not to get back to Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans kind of thing, but this is how it works. This is this is absolutely a model for how this stuff works. And yes, even even now, Marco's success with Overcast probably has something to do with the kickstart it got from his audience and. You know, I, I don't I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I do I do think there's a an element of sour grapes. I, I also see the oh well he's got all of that Tumblr money, so he doesn't even need this money to live and things like that and you know, save it for the rest of us. I see I see some of that too. There's a lot of stuff out there, but Marco is you know, he's he's well known, he's a polarizing figure. Sometimes he brings it on himself, a lot of times he totally doesn't deserve it and he gets it anyway. I you know, it's 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 complicated, but I would say there are lots of 
there are lots of ways that you can market your uh, products. And one of them is by uh, being visible in the world and having people who are interested in what you're doing. And Marco's got that, but that doesn't mean other people couldn't do that too. I mean, Daniel Jalkut has a following. It's not nearly as big as Marco's, but Dan- Daniel and, and Manton doing their podcasts, um, that, that brings, you know, that, that you're part of the circle. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're one, you're a little bit more than a face in the crowd at that point. And I, I think that is part of, even if it's not intended to be marketing, this will sell me some apps being visible on a podcast. Um, I think that it's still part of the, the whole, um, uh, the, this, the, again, this little world we live in, but it's part of that. It's part of the marketing cycle. It makes you more visible to get covered on websites where the, you know, the people who write the websites know you, but maybe the people who read, read the websites don't. Um, and yeah, and it goes from there. So it's just, this is how it works today. So I've gotten off on a little bit of a rant here, but I do think it's unfair. I, I, I know that sure. Marco is Marco and not every developer is Marco, but at the same time, I don't really like the, um, implication there that because Marco is Marco, we have nothing to learn from him because I think that's, um, I think that's bogus. Nobody gives you fame. No, you have to to work at that. And, and if, if it helped him to get a bump in the first week, well, that's, that's what he gets for working hard. And if he has Tumblr money, that's what he gets for working hard. Yeah. Like he worked hard and he made good things. And I'm not saying that other people aren't working hard and making good things, but sometimes you have to work for a long time. Well, and you can't, you can't say he's got a podcast, so it's not fair. It's like, well, do you have a podcast? Well, no, I don't like to talk and all that. Do you have other things that you do? Well, no, I don't. I'm not saying everybody who complains about it is like that, but it's like those all go together. They aren't separate. It's not like this is a, a, an Olympic uh, event in programming where only programming is allowed and all other things are not, that's not how it works. That's not how the world works. This is, this is marketing. This is a store. You were wanting, you want to have visibility. You want people to be talking about what you're doing. And, and, um, you know, it's as John Syracuse would say, it's necessary, but not sufficient. It, it is, it is, you still have to have a good product. People still have to want it, but it is part of the way you get people to be aware that your product exists. And, and that's just how it is. And that, that's not invalidating the work that gets done. I just look at all this and I see it as positive. No matter where he came from or what right. he did, like this is positive stuff. Yeah, uh, I, it's the I, same I for just, Monument I, Valley as well. That, that you know we haven't really. Uh, I think the marker thing is maybe more interesting to to this discussion. But they they made a lot of money. Yeah, five point eight, five point nine million dollars. Yep. in revenue. But they pumped like a a million, a million and a half nearly into building it. But it's yeah, oh still, sure, it's still an incredible. I mean, it's relative, right? Because. Games do really well on the App Store, yeah, folks. <laughs> exactly, like, but but it's all relative, right? Like that—that's a huge increase in profit. Like if you put ten grand into it and you made like a hundred grand, you know, it's all relative. But so they put a lot of money and they got a lot of money out. Um, so that—that's interesting. But I think it is—it is. I think that you look at stuff like what Marco's doing, and I think that sharing this is positive for everyone. Is it's proving you can do it, and for me, what it proves more than anything else is. You need to think about your business model. Marco had a different business model. He had yeah. a free app with an in-app purchase, and everyone says you shouldn't do it, or everyone said it's gross and it's disgusting. You know, it's not about Overcast, but about you know doing a business model this way. Oh, you you should respect us and pay up front. And I understand all of that. 
But what Marco shows is you sometimes need to think about doing things a little bit differently. Because mm-hmm. I think these graphs and charts would look very different if Overcast was a five, $5 to entry. Oh, um, totally. So I think that this he, is a he key wouldn't to get sampled. Differently. Yeah, no and, way. And, and he, he wouldn't get sampled by those people who bought it over Christmas and then paid for it. Yep. That that are in that in that chart because they wouldn't have bought it. They would have just stuck with the free thing. For sure. So you got you got to think about these things, and I think that that is a demonstration of that. So I say congratulations to him, to be honest, and, and I think he's done a great job. So shall we uh, round off today's episode with some ask upgrade? I think we shall. We actually have a sponsor for our ask upgrade segment yes. this week, and that is our That's friends right. over at Smile. Smile and ask upgrade perfect together. They, they go hand in hand. Today I want to talk to you about PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone. There's a recently released version 2 of this fantastic app that brings new professional level features to this already incredibly powerful mobile PDF editing app. The new features that you're going to find in version 2 of PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone include a brand new editing bar that provides easy access to all of your favorite tools, super smart palm and wrist detection for when you're writing and highlighting, the ability to apply password encryption to your super secret PDF documents that you don't want anybody to see. The ability to view and navigate through annotations in the sidebar, automatic page numbering, including Bates numbering, which is something that I found out is very useful in the legal and medical fields as a way to place identifying information onto documents. I'd never heard it, but I guess if you need Bates numbering, you can now get it. And support for iCloud and Drive, sorry, and AirDrop to easily store and share your PDFs between devices. Of course, this all builds on the already fantastic PDF pen for iPad and iPhone in version 1. It builds on all of those features like giving you tools to add text to images and signatures to PDFs, the power to correct text in original PDFs via editable text blocks so you can type in the text that you need, and an easy way to fill out PDF forms which now include specialized signature fields. If you want to revolutionize the way you deal with PDFs on your iOS devices, you need look no further than PDF pen for iPad and iPhone. Go and search PDF Pen 2 on the App Store today or go to smilesoftware.com slash upgrade to find out more. Thank you so much to Smile for supporting this show, Relay FM, and the podcasting community at large. We love you guys and go check out their stuff. Thank you so much. Yay! So what do we have in, in Ask Upgrade this week, Mr. Jason? I feel like we're reaching uh, into the mailbag. You know, I love mailbag. Yes, it is. And this is like our mailbag. Yes, Yep, there you go. It is. This is our mailbag. Um, it's the smile mailbag. The smile mailbag. Just a mailbag with a really big smile logo on it this yep, week. that's it. That's, that's exactly it. it. Uh, listener Javi wrote in to say, this is a good one, wondering why Jason L has me blocked on Twitter. <laughs> we're, we're approaching awkward county, guys. <laughs> The answer is I use Twitter's powerful search feature to find all mentions of listener Javi uh, mentioning me on Twitter, and I found no examples of him saying anything that would offend me at all. Um, it doesn't mean he didn't say something and then delete it later. Um, I block lots of people because life's too short, and they they get in my timeline saying strange things, or they won't leave me alone, or they're telling me, you know, stick to technology, or I don't follow you to listen to you tweet about sports so stop writing about that and stuff like that and i just have a life's too short to to deal with those people i just block them now uh you know listener javi i had no idea uh why i did the searches i can't find any anything i found over the years that the people who most deserve to be blocked are not asking to be unblocked (laughs) 
<laughs> I've had a few people like say, hey, can you tell Jason to not block me because he can't see my tweets anymore? And those people have never been a problem again. I, I've never had a problem with that. So, um, so listener Javi, you were unblocked. I don't know why you were blocked. Um, you know, I, I just, and, and again, these days they have mute. And so if somebody's not abusive, but is just like, saying things that bug me i can i can mute them on twitter and then they can continue to see me but i just don't see them and i think that's a nice feature but back in the old days you you know the block was much more aggressive and i'll block jerks you know i'll block awful awful people but if i just don't want to see you because you're saying crazy stuff or whatever um or i just saying stuff that i don't want to see because i've got a you know i've got other priorities then maybe i'll mute you instead and then you won't see it takes a lot for me to block someone but I will do it. Interesting. I, I, I block if people are being, uh, if, they, if they insult me, like personally. Like I, I've had people that have made really weird jokes that I, I don't like. And, and if you do that, I will block you because that's, that's the only way that mm. I, I know this sounds weird. We're going into analog territory now. But that's the only way that I feel like I can get anything back. Because I'm not going to, if you insult me personally, if you insult, because I, I, um, I had somebody insult my appearance once <laughs> in a picture. <laughs> And I was like, "You're going like that. You it. don't. Dis- and, and this sounds so terrible. And and I, I apologize already for how big-headed this makes me sound. But you don't deserve any entertainment from me. Uh, if I could, if I could reach in and delete your podcast app, I would do that as well. Because at this <laughs> point, I don't know why you're here. Like, yeah. why are you doing this to me? Like, even if you think that's a funny joke, we are not friends. Like." I don't know you. You, yeah. you don't. I mean, even if my I, I don't want to say what he said, but even if my friend said what he said to me, I would I would be really upset about it. So mm. it's like it's the only one that I can think that I've blocked for that reason. Otherwise, like I I I report a lot of people for spam. You know, um, sure. If, if I feel if I see people uh, being aggressive towards someone, you know, I report them for spam. I do that quite a lot because that blocks as well. Uh, but it, it does. I, I I see why you do it because I've I've seen scenarios uh, where people talk to you in a really weird way. And if I had that kind of response, I think I would I would take that view as well. It's basically just like you know, this isn't so much just me and Jason because we're so super popular. If people are aggressive to you or, or upset you, you don't have to see that. And the easiest way to do it. It's just to get rid of them and block them out of your life. There's, life's too short and the social networks of the world are not a place where you should feel harassed. And right. Twitter need to do... This is a whole long thing we could talk hours about. Oh, yeah. But there is so much more that Twitter needs to do and mm. all of their promises are just have been ridiculous so far and they are not doing what they need to be doing. And the government in this country is trying to push them into doing that. Uh, I had a nice com- conversation with Brianna Wu about this uh, that was not on a podcast, but it's the idea that uh, you know there's no precinct, police precinct for Twitter. Nobody's Twitter is nobody's beat. Facebook is nobody's beat. And so the police are, are almost incapable of focusing on this kind of thing, which is why that you know we need to rethink um, you know attacks and harassment and things like that on the internet and and 
you know, if there if there are illegal acts happening, then then there needs to be somebody who's patrolling it, and we we don't have that concept yet because our our structures are decades behind that kind of concept. I have had on our list since episode one uh, a Twitter episode, and we'll get there eventually, or maybe it will be the grand uh, crossover between upgrade and analog. I don't know, but there's so much that I that I use Twitter for, and so much I like about it, and so much terrible stuff on it too. I mean, let's let's be honest, and I block. I'm much quicker to block only because I've got a lot of followers <laughs> and I and I attract some people who say things I and that are um that are unfortunate and I you know I have I have no patience for for that. I I I um, and, and they'll always say like, oh, you're, you're going to block him because you don't agree with him and he's he's debating you. It's like, no, I don't block people because they're debating me. I block people because they're crazy. I block people because they're rude. Um, I block people because they're not really interested in having a conversation. They just want to um, they just want to uh, bug me and uh, you just keep needling me and they're not not actually having a conversation. It's stuff like that. It's just life's too short. Again, if somebody, this is, um, there's a guy, uh, Derek Powazek on on Twitter who has this, who I I have blocked in the past and unblocked later. Um, (laughs) And his his whole thing is if somebody is, is, you see on Twitter is is like making you, uh, you know, making you angry or making you feel bad about yourself or anything that is unpleasant, that is making you not want to even use Twitter because it's so unpleasant, just block them and move on with your life or mute them. I suppose you could do now, but just, just it life's too, again, like I said, life's too short. Just move on. Nobody, you don't owe that to anybody like that. And I love Twitter and I love interacting with people on Twitter and I do it a lot, but there every now and then there's somebody who is acting like really entitled. Like, why won't you answer my question? Or, is telling me I don't want to hear you. Uh, you know, don't write about that. I want you to write about this other thing. It's like I'm not here for your amusement. I'm I'm here for my own amusement, and I I like having conversations with people here. But the point is not that I'm dancing for you. You know, I'm dance monkey dance is not. <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it's a funny it's a funny thing. But uh, I do actually like the one thing that Twitter has done that I like is this is this mute feature, which is um, back on the on the Macworld forums we used to talk about. There was a feature that some forum packages had that was called uh, "Tacky Goes to Coventry," and uh, basically it's the um, it's the global mute because if you ban a troll, they get really angry at you and then they come back and with a new sock puppet account and they just keep on trolling you. But if you if you um, send them to Coventry, if you send them to the cornfield, um, they continue to rage as long as they want, and nobody sees them. It's a global mute. They just nobody sees their posts. They're there. They see them. They think they're participating, and they're not. And um, you know that the Twitter mute is like that a little bit, which is like that person can just go on and on and on to me all they like. I'm just never going to see it. And they can follow me, and if they get something out of following me, that's great. But they're not going to interact with me anymore. And I, I like that because it, it, the block is like you can't see me anymore, which is also bogus because they can just log out and they can see you. Anyway, we'll do a whole Twitter episode. Yeah. What else do we have? Uh, listener Gary says, why is it that the only apps that crash on my Mac are Microsoft apps? <laughs> Hashtag ask upgrade. Um, you're not using enough th- other third-party apps? <laughs> and maybe too Zing. many Microsoft apps. And maybe too many Microsoft <laughs> apps. I have, no, I have no serious answer here. I have lots of apps that crash, um, and I have Microsoft apps that don't crash. So I, don't I really don't see many crashes on OS X. No. Um, I, I really see more of that 
on, on iOS. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Every now and then I'll get one. I've had one with Transmit lately that's been crashing that I, I sent Panic an email about. And I said, why is this crashing? Um, but it, it, it's pretty rare that that happens. Twitter, Twitter app, the, the, the official Twitter app on that crashes all the time, I should say. That one crashes all the time. Because you block too much. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm overusing it. <laughs> I've worn it out. You're blocking it's just, it out. very tired now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, listener Brooks wrote in uh, and said, I just filed a feature request with Apple to add Ahoy Telephone as a trigger f- phrase for Siri. Brooks, why do you have to ruin everything? <laughs> <laughs> why? You're going to make us do a new catchphrase. Oh, and then, then Amazon Echo has some programmable ones. And, and Alexa. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. Let's just, let's keep Ahoy Telephone pure, okay? <laughs> let's not ruin it by making it a trigger phrase. If if that day comes when when you can set your own trigger phrase for Siri, then I do expect that many upgradians will do a Hoy telephone. That seems like that seems like a, a next feature, to be honest, because there yeah. are other ever like Amazon does it, yeah, and uh, Google does it. You know, it makes sense that, that you need Apple to do it. Will go that way next, yeah. unless they really really believe in the Siri brand. So it's like, Shh. sorry, the yeah. uh, brand. Yeah, and, and they really just want people to be saying that, and, and that wouldn't surprise me either, to be honest. You can say Siri, you just can't say Ahoy Telephone. Yeah, well, that's... I think I just said something that will probably trigger Siri. Sorry about that. I, I think wasn't you saying keep it. doing it. I think you're you're running around in a circle. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, we also have um, at Twist of Matt. I'm going to go over Upgrady and Matt. Uh, one okay. thing uh, people don't talk about too much on the shows um, is, that I like is jailbreaking. What are your thoughts? Uh, we, I, I had a nice conversation with Matt, upgrading and Matt on Twitter about this last night. Um, and he was not, turns out, not really advocating for jailbreaking um, so much as was curious about it. I'm, I'm opposed. There have been times when I think jailbreaking has been very important. In the early days of the iPhone, it was important. That's how all the original third-party iPhone apps happened, is that developers jailbroke their phones and like fig- figured out how to put apps on it, which is totally crazy, but they did it. Um, and then there was a time uh, when the iPad was out. Uh, for the first year or so, you couldn't do video out on the iPad. And uh, we jailbroke a bunch of iPads for Macworld Expo, in, so that we could um, so that we could demo iPad things on screen without a camera. I guess maybe it was the second year the, the iPad was out. Um, there was a jailbreak that let you do video out over the dock connector, and that was huge because up until that point we were using those little overhead cameras <laughs> to try to show a you know a picture of what we were. What, it was terrible to demo things on the iPad, but mostly I don't. I, I think the platform is is. Uh, robust enough now that I, I don't think there's any really great reason. I think it adds a lot of instability. I think a lot of the, the software you can download that are hacks, it's just so tweaky and hacky that most people uh, most people are not going to get a good experience using it. So I feel like I don't want to talk about it. If you want to bring it on yourself, then go ahead and bring it on yourself. But I don't think most people, I don't want to encourage people to do it because I don't think most people would find much value in it. It causes lots of problems for upgrading to uh, new versions uh, for you know the benefit of having like crazy, weird, tweaky kind of stuff. And then also it's... Um, 
you know, we don't like to talk about it, but I, the number one reason for jailbreaking is to pirate apps, and I don't support that. So, I, you know, if you want to jailbreak your phone and you got a reason for it, that's great, but I'm not going to talk about it. Yep, I, I agree. I agree. It's a, It can become a bit of a mess, and it's a whole different world. It's like a yeah. whole different thing. It's not even the and iOS again, anymore. If, if there was a feature... Like tethering. There was a time when you could do something weird and you could get tethering. And there was a time when you could do video out on the iPad. There are moments in the life of iOS where it feels like there's a reason to jailbreak because there's something that Apple hasn't implemented yet that you know the hardware can do. Why haven't they implemented it? And there's a jailbreak implementation for it. And those come along every now and then, but that's the only reason I've ever jailbroken. Because I, uh, you know, the 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 super tweakiness of it. Uh, actually, listener Matt mentioned this is that you know he's seen he's seen some of his friends with Android phones tweak their settings to the point of unusability, and I think that happens. I've seen jailbroken uh, iOS devices that are very similar that are just you know I've got the all this crazy stuff going on. It's like well that's great, but you know I think most people don't want to don't want to see that. They don't want to do that. They 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 want to keep it simple. So. I mean, another yeah. reason people have jailbroken in the past is so they can use the phone in their country as well. And, you know, if, if, sure. if that's still a thing, then that makes sense to do. Yeah, unlocking your phone. Yeah. You've got an old phone and your carrier is not cooperating to unlock it. it totally makes sense. Even if you are, you know, so you're still on a plan, but you're going to travel overseas and you find a way to unlock your phone so that you can go overseas and not use your, your carrier's card when you're roaming. I'm, I'm totally cool with that I, I think there are some good reasons to use it but um they're very specific and then you know again i i feel like when we're talking the audience we're talking to even if it's a very technical audience i, I feel like even for them 98 percent of them 90 you know maybe for our audience it's 95 percent of them should really not ever jailbreak their device and for the mass of ios users it's 99.9 percent so uh, our last Ask Upgrade uh, today, um, Johnny uh, wanted to know if we use uh, the Ahoy Telephone feature um, on a you regular... You can say but, Siri. Okay, I'll say Siri. Uh, you just can't say... The other thing. S- yeah, say hey. The, yeah. Say hey, kid. You can't, you can't say, say like, that. You, know, you can't say like bail, you know, what what is a bail made of, Siri. Right. Uh, on a regular basis, uh, do we use it? How? Looking for some use cases. I think we both use the exact same feature and the only time I ever use yep. Siri. Uh, should do this on three, two, one. <laughs> yep. Set a timer for five minutes. Yes. It's all I do. When I'm cooking, uh, I use Siri for timers. It's great. That is it. Yep. Me too. Me too. I, it's great for that because uh, that is the perfect example of something that a voice interface does better than the touch interface because you don't have to open the clock app and go to timer and set the time and all of that and you've got stuff on your hands because you're cooking or whatever. You just say set a timer for five minutes. It's great. I love it. Uh, and that is about all I, I use it for. Yeah. Mrs. Snow, I think we did it. I think we, uh, I think we didn't kill anybody. Uh, we learned a little. We grew a little. Cried a bit. Laughed. And uh, left and left some topics for the next show, which is always good. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Again, thank you very much, as always. Thank you. I think we're on a bit of a, um, you know, I think we talk about ourselves now. Nobody's listening. I think we're on a bit of a roll <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I think yeah. we're on a bit of a roll. I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying the show more and more and more every week, and I hope that uh, everybody else is too. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, 
point your web browser relay.fm slash upgrade slash 19. Uh, we love to get your feedback about the show and, and topic suggestions and questions. And of course, all you need to do for that is tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade and they're going to pop up in our lovely little Google document. And then maybe you will be a part of the AskUpgrade section of next week's show. If you want to find us online, you can find Jason. He is at jsnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. And he writes the fantastic six colors dot com and I am iMike at iMike on Twitter I am YKE and I am the host of many shows at the glorious Relay FM of which this show has a lovely home we'll be back next time with another episode of Upgrade thanks again to our sponsors for this week MailRoute Stamps.com Linda and Smile with PDF Pen 2 for iPad and iPhone until then say goodbye Mike oh goodbye Jason (laughs) The tables are turned! <laughs> 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 <laughs>